Like nearly everybody else in Great Britain, I was watching the Eurovision Song Contest and I thought it was the best they've ever produced. Didn't you think so? Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. I thought it was the, really the best produced one. Well done, the Irish. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture hunters. With the world heading back into COVID lockdown, a lot of people are feeling hard done by at the prospect of being trapped in their homes with only everything ever made available to stream at the touch of a button on their television set. We're using the same time and technology to remember a time when TV had just three channels, four if you were a communist, and it adhered to a strict broadcast schedule. There wasn't anything else to do. For years we were in lockdown and didn't even realise it. Now we're banged up once more, we've chosen to revisit the halcyon days of zero-choice broadcast television in which we grew up to see what we can learn. We're not doing this because it's easy, we're doing it because it's there. This is our Everest, which makes me Sir Dotmund Hillary. And it makes you my fearless guide. I know where this is going. Sherpa Ian King Norgay. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say Sherpa Tense King. Well, that, that, I don't mind no, that. I, that. I mean, I, you know, just to suggest, this is what happens when we don't prepare. I, I would say that we are, we are doing plenty of preparation for every single one yeah. of these episodes. So this is a test of endurance. Yeah. We have basically decided that... Since our mental conditions are likely to be fairly weak as a result of not one, but two global pandemic-related lockdowns in one year, that we would would see how far we could push ourselves. Let's test test our limits. See whether or not we can uh, make the other go over the edge. Yeah. To be honest, on our first choice this evening, which was one of mine yeah um i've stitched myself up like a kipper yes as as you're well aware we've established a a number of rules for this project one of them is that we are taking it in turns to choose Mm -hmm. which is both equitable in uh, and also scientifically valid when we're trying to bring the other down yeah your choice whittaker's world of music well yeah an lwt program that was broadcast a year before you were born. Uh, at no point have I stipulated that the programme should be from within our lifetimes. And it, immediately I regret not instituting that rule. Well, yeah. I mean, um, the the thing is that, to put it in a bit of a, a historical context, I reckon that by April 1971, if he wasn't sniffing around it, then Murdoch had his feet under the table at London Weekend. And I suspect that this programme might have been part of an effort on their part to drag themselves down market a little bit. The story of the first couple of years of London Weekend television is a story which will almost certainly be repeated at a later point in this podcast of... Highfalutin media lovies taking a television station in the belief that they knew what was best for the audience. Um, David Frost 
This is. And he assembled a team of all talents. Jimmy Hill, head of sport. Frank, oh God, what's his name? The guy with the pink bow ties. Frank Muir. Frank Muir, thank you. Um, was the head of, I think, Light Entertainment? Yeah. And so uh, they started putting out programmes that they felt were uh, higher-end, higher-quality programming, uh, all topped and tailed by a, a dose of frost every night. Frost on <laughs> Friday, frost on Saturday, frost on Sunday. <laughs> And of course, the thing about um, this particular company is that it was unique at the time because by 1968, they were the only company to have a weekend franchise. Um, Throughout its first 13 years, the bigger regions, the Midlands, the north of England and London, each had two companies, one for weekdays, one for weekends. And in 1968, two of these were done away with and just turned into seven-day franchises. What they actually did was they split the north of England down the middle and turned one of them into Yorkshire and made one of them the northwest and made those seven-day franchises. And then they just made the Midlands a seven-day franchise as well. But London, they considered... Uh, If there was one company in London, then that might end up holding too much control over the entirety of the the ITV network. It would be a massive player in terms of its revenues. So they decided to keep the London split. And the London split continued to exist until they did away with regional franchises altogether in 2002. Mm. Um, So... London Weekend was in this very unique position in that it had to maximise the time that it had. And it also had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, Saturday Afternoons was going to be Blanket Sport. It had been World of Sport since, I think, 1965. Um, Sundays, they had to fit in all this um, state-mandated religious programming. They had to do some of that though you know whether they liked it or not and Sundays was really about the only day day that they could and of course you know Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon aren't exactly prime viewing hours so their hours were very very limited and when they started putting out two hour long operas in prime time on Saturday nights unsurprisingly 90% of the audience went to the BBC and it ended up in such a shitstorm that they very, very, very nearly went bankrupt and they very, very nearly had their licence stripped from them. The other ITV companies were refusing to buy their programmes and put them on Saturday nights because they knew that no one was going to watch them. Much easier to just put a repeat of Gunsmoke on. You know, somebody will watch that. Yeah, but, um, probably be us. Yeah, but but no, you know, nobody was going to watch a, a two-hour-long opera on a Saturday night on ITV. It wasn't what ITV was there for. Um, and so by 1971, Frost was just about to be pushed out and Murdoch uh, was on his way to push the company down market and make it profitable again. Yeah. And so what you actually end up with there is a case of history repeating itself because exactly the same thing happened with the creation of TVAM in 1982 
we'll, we will come back to TVAM at some point in this series if it goes on for long enough. Um, <laughs> but David Frost uh, bid for an ITV franchise on the basis of producing a highfalutin news service and current affairs, um, which then failed. Uh, and he left, and a horrible bastard Australian, um, this time it was uh, Kerry Packer, uh, bought a 25% shareholding, installed another Australian bastard, uh, Bruce Gingell, and uh, he dragged TVAM down market and just about made it profitable again. Yeah. Uh, it's it's almost as if history repeats itself. Um, and so... This particular period, this kind of spring period of April 1971, the people making the programme were in a very precarious position. Um, there would have been redundancies going around at the time. Uh, there would have been... A, there would have been uh, I think they would have just come out of strike action. There'd been strike action more or less from the... From, in fact, exactly from, uh, from, from the off. Because... Um, Actually, the technicians at London Weekend Television went on strike 15 seconds uh, into their first programme. And that strike spread throughout the network and knocked it out for a few weeks. Nice. Um, And in fact, you you will go occasionally onto YouTube and you might see programmes from ITV made in 1970 or 71 uh, that are in black and white. (laughs) And the reason for that is that the colour technicians were on strike. And so for a few months, ITV could only make... Pro- or at least London Weekend could, uh, could only make programmes in black and white. So there was all this absolute chaos in the background of it. And from out of nowhere, there's Roger fucking Whittaker. Yeah. Uh, and they've given him an hour. Well, it's in- it's very interesting because this, this is the sort of programme that was very common and familiar at the time i mean coming out of the 60s dusty springfield had her own show like this Scylla had her own show like this lulu um johnny cash of course had a show like this in in america but what you'll mm. notice about all of those people is that none of them are roger whittaker well yeah i mean the, the... nairobi born whistling uh folk rock I, I, I mean, do we say oh, star? You're making the word. The word rock is doing a lot of work there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only whistling and rock intersections that I can think of is scorpions. Winds of change. <laughs> Winds of change. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I wonder if he'd ever whistled that in the shower. Well, maybe it was Roger Whittaker actually provided the whistling on Winds of Change. I... I He was notorious for his whistling abilities. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he's doing that thing that everybody did in the early 1970s of looking 55 when he's 35, which doesn't... And all of this, despite wearing a shirt uh, that looks like somebody has just spilled some petrol on the pavement... Yeah, uh, it's a very, very metallic, silvery shirt and a cravat as well. 
Yeah, how can somebody who's dressed like such a hepcat look so old? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> There's a definite still go about him. He's got, yes, that's it. I was trying to put my finger on it. I, I was thinking uh, Mr. Bronson. <laughs> from Grange, from Grange Hill, he was giving. I was getting a. I was getting a dose of the Bronsons off him. But yeah, still go, still go. Bronson hybrid is uh, is, um, uh, is, is fair enough. The the guests that we we had on this particular episode, which went out on the fifteenth of May, nineteen seventy one, mm-hmm. uh, an interesting, varied selection. I'm not sure whether or not it it's a varied enough selection to justify the use of the word world in the title of the programme. But uh, we did have Severine, who just won the Eurovision Song Contest for Monaco. Well, let me just... let me just, And Rolf Harris. Yeah, well, let me just interject for a minute there with another peeve. Um, <laughs> is it, he rattled through the list of people that were going to be in it yep. at such a rate of knots that I wrote down the first two... And I already knew who they were just from looking at them. Yeah. And the ones who I didn't really know who they were, I mean, I have a vague idea of who Severine was. Um, and I was just like, hang on a minute, slow down. Fucking okay, no, hell, I don't know. And and actually, when, he, when they go in to do their songs, I think only one or two of them get an introduction then as well. Yeah. I had to wait till the end, till the closing credits. And even then... I didn't really write it down. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no no real introductions. There's no captioning. And as you mm. say, the only way that you really know who was who for definite is via the, the time-honoured means of uh, a cast-wide rendition of he's got the whole world in his hands. Uh, and, yeah. And his in his hands were Rolf Harris, Severin, Dr Marigold's prescription. Yeah. Jeanette Reno, J. Vincent Edwards, Mungo Jerry, and Ashton Gardner Dyke and Co. Some some of those acts have very much stood the test of time better than yeah. others. I can see one who hasn't. <laughs> Werdicker's World of Music Part 2, production number 0832, recording date 11571, take one. I mean, let's let's just go head on. Yeah, let's not I mean, we might as well, because we've got to face the fact that if you're going to be doing British television from the 50s through to the 1990s, you're going to be covering a few wrong-uns. Yeah. Um, And... I'm prepared to stand back from the wrong and kind of try to judge their artistic uh, output for what it is. Yeah. But oh, when he's doing Jake the Peg, one of his classics, one of his one of his classic classic acts. Yeah, but it's I don't know. You can't help but think that the combination of that and all the breathing noises is just 
I, 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 I don't know. Well, it, it, it made it made me feel a bit nauseous. I was interested by the sort of mid-European accent that he affected for most of it, which mm. I've never heard a, a version of Jake the Peg like that before. And I mean, how many have you heard? Well, I don't know, but I mean, I've seen him do it before, and. I, I mean, I, I watched this one with a particularly gimlet eye. I wanted to see which one was the fake leg. Uh, well, the thing is... Out, it was right. the one on the right. The thing... Oh, okay, go. His right or ours? Um, His right. So our left. So, our, yeah, our left. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? I hadn't heard that song before, you know. I mean, I guess I knew the chorus. Does it count as a chorus? I guess I knew it because it's just one of those things that you know. But I didn't even know it was a song. I mean, I assumed on the basis of the very little that I've seen of Rolf Harris that wasn't him, you know, drawing <laughs> cartoon characters. Or being in taken Mark down. Or yeah, or or standing outside a courtroom with a worried look on his face. Um, what a legacy he leaves. Yeah, I didn't know whether it was a stand-up comedy act or what. And I think I probably assumed it was a stand-up comedy act. I didn't realise it was a song with you know something approaching a structure. There's Jake. I had a dreadful childhood Well I suppose I shouldn't moan Each time they had a three-legged race I won it on my own And also I got popular When came the time for cricket They used to roll my trousers up And use me for the wickets I'm Jake no, I knew it was a song. I mean, obviously, Rolf, in the as was the style at the time, very much your all-round entertainer, wasn't he? And yeah. He, and he he launched he launches into a, a duet with Roger as well at the end of Jake. The well, I mean, the other thing I was going to touch on about Rolf is that um, in, in the light of everything that came to light afterwards. That insistence, that pushiness, is quite a bit more obvious. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, of course he gets the singing duet with Roger, yeah. you know. Yeah. Of course he's the first one up on the stage singing fucking We've Got the Old World in His Hands. Yeah. You know, he he's, you can see it more noticeably than I probably would have done before is that it's got to be about him. He's got yeah. to be under the spotlight. There was definitely and... a hierarchy of uh, performers who you you could see who was keen to be involved in he's got the whole world in his hands and who, who had to be literally dragged away from the bar screaming. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of them, they literally just did their song and that was it. I mean, there was some fuzzy bear-looking bloke sitting at a piano who sounded like a... Oh, yes. Sounded yeah. like he'd been gargling gravel. That was Ashton Gardner and Doyle, then. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, right, OK. Yeah, well, him... They didn't get an introduction or an outroduction, you know? They no. just They was literally back in from the advert break, do your song, on to the next thing. 
It was quite a, um, a successful song at the time, I understand, but again, it oh. <laughs> hasn't really stood the test of time. I mean, I, I looked into some of the songs to see whether or not there were any, you know, sleeper hits. Uh, I, I've discovered that the uh, Monaco's winning song in the Eurovision Song Contest was number nine in the charts at the time, the UK charts. Obviously, you know, if somebody is singing in French and in a French accent, then that brings a little sliver of glamour into their meat and potatoes starched up 1971 <laughs> world you know that, that, that they did actually kudos to the cameraman who got a nice shot of her face framed with the microphone in front of it and the, and they had the lighting just right and that was that was really nicely shot actually that kind of 10 15 seconds whatever it was so all right you know fair enough but i mean well i mean what else have we got here mungo cherry they're, mungo, just a yeah. jug, they're just a jug band aren't they they're just you know sitting around with their own pipes i was surprised to learn that mungo jerry had eight additional top 40 hits well i mean that, that that's the thing about this song is that it's just in the summertime with different words, isn't it? I well, mean, he yeah. even gets to the bit where he starts going... Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and it's like, mate, you did this last year, and I, yeah. I get it. It doesn't seem like that long ago. There is but... a story, actually, with this song, Lady Rose. Oh, right, which okay. is that it was headed to be number one when all of a sudden the record company withdrew it because um, it was a 33 RPM EP and one of the other songs on it was Take a Whiff on Me by Lead Belly, which is a, right. a drug song and the BBC refused to have anything to do with the record until it was um, re-released without Take a Whiff on Me on there. Oh, by that time the momentum had slowed. Exactly, the momentum had slowed. And in fact, by 1972, Mungo Jerry had sort of reformed with a, a new lineup. You know, different a different jug player. Yeah, I mean it's 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 Ray Dorset and the and some other and, people and, and the the Bournemouth Collective repository hornpipe band isn't it it doesn't matter who any of the, of the others are yeah um he's a curious looking fellow isn't he ray dorset oh I, am, I don't know how anybody can grow sideboards like that and to such an extent that i think they might have been stick on i don't think it's possible for a human male to grow that much hair in that specific position, and I've you know I've known some hairy men. Well, you're I mean you're not an unreasonably hairy man. I'm yourself. quite yeah. I mean I'm not particularly at the moment. My hair's quite short. My beard's almost non-existent. Um, but yeah, you know I've been known to grow a beard. Well, I say that I don't make any effort towards growing. No, a beard. no, no. It grows, and I don't shave it. <laughs> Yeah. Is what happens. Maybe that's what happened with Ray Dorset. Maybe. Well, I just I'm not convinced that anybody could have hair that thick in that position on the. <laughs> Honestly, take a look. It looks like bloody carpet. It looks like black. <laughs> looks like a black shag pile. It, it does. It's and, true. And and 
I mean, I know the story about Alvin Stardust going to a theatrical wig suppliers and sticking sideboards on to cover up a a, a, a hair product related accident oh, the night before his Top of the Pops debut. And I doubt whether Ray Dorsett has got the same excuse. No. But the effect is very similar. And, I'm, you know, I'm looking for the drawing and I'm looking to see if there's any underlay. <laughs> Is what I'm looking for. Yeah, but I, they, they, but I'm, you know, I I don't know. I can't tell you one way or the other whether they're real or not. Um, we're going to need to start wrapping this up relatively soon. So I think what we should do is, uh, for each for each one of these programs, we're going to try and pick our favourite thing, our least favourite thing, and the thing that's going to live with us or haunt our dreams. Okay. So have you got any you got any particular favorite bits that were actually quite good and you thought I mean you've already said about the framing of Severin. So that Yeah, that was that was really that was that was just this nicely shot 10 seconds. Um and I liked Roger's outfit, you know. Well, I, Ro- I, I, Roger I, I had I like three a, outfits actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like a man who can carry off a cravat. I I'm impressed by anybody who in a 1 hour long TV program has three costume changes. The worst thing uh I think I'm going to have to go for oh, it's really difficult. <laughs> There's a lot to choose from. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go for the name of the band Dr Marigold's Prescription yeah. which is the most shit contrived fake psychedelic band name that's the band name i reckon of the band in carry on camping <laughs> on the back of the lorry with sid james i believe they're named after a um a, a dickensian novella yeah but uh, or some no, such it's though marigold for flowers, prescription for drugs. It's it's not exactly subtle, is it? And it's almost certainly not true either. I bet none of them took any drugs. Yeah, I think. There that, you go. I, I, I... Bad, uh, look, bands that name themselves after that sort of thing. You know, if you're going to go to all that sort of trouble, they're never the ones who actually do it because the ones who actually do it know that you've got to keep it a little bit sly. Yeah. Any any moments that are going to haunt you in your dreams? Three-legged Rolf Harris. Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean... Uh, you know. You know. They... I mean, you, your mind can wonder if it's not a leg, what might it be? <laughs> um, Cold it's, Jesus. It, it's, just, it's just a bit too big to be realistic. Yeah. Um, and then there's all the other stuff as well, you know. he's 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 got a... He's got a whiff of um, there is quite a, a lot jail of stuff. time about him, and, yeah, uh, and and that just kind of you know you feel a bit ick watching it. Yeah, I I mean my my own personal highlight of the program was probably the nineteen sixties style quick cuts in the um, Zach Lawrence dance routine segment. Well, they, they yeah, had some I mean, they had some dancers and they were just cutting from the piano to them to the piano and they're throwing shapes and it's a, basically a montage it reminded me of um listen to the flower people by spinal tap yeah yeah i mean the problem with zach lawrence was that his song was absolute hog shit 
that was and then they and then they were like oh well that's not one of his and i was like yeah that's somebody else's song and he's playing it on the piano and i i know it but i don't i can't tell you what it is a lot of other people's songs actually in in this program Um, great it's not a great review is it there's a joni mitchell song was sung by roger um j vincent edwards sang macarthur park which is a shit song yeah. And actually, it would be my low light were it not for the introduction of Severin, where Roger Whittaker suddenly turns around to a, a young woman in the audience and asks them what they thought of the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, yeah, and they clearly haven't watched it. They clearly haven't watched it. Or, <laughs> Definitely have not watched it. Yeah, they just go, yeah. We're fine. not expecting to be yeah. asked anything by Roger yeah. Whittaker. And, and you're, actually, not, you're, not, you're not Tony Blackburn. <laughs> It was, it was leave awful. those young ladies alone. You're 35, man. Yeah, but on on the subject of leave those young ladies alone, the thing that's going to haunt my dreams is the stolen kiss that uh, J. Vincent Edwards elicits at the beginning of his first musical number, which I believe was "Come on over to my place." Yeah, well, you, um, there, there is there is no one in this country who can possibly sing that song without singing We're Having a Wimpy at the end of it. And I refuse to accept that there are people who are who are too young to that, remember that TV advert. That stolen kiss at the beginning of that is... Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's, there is very much a, a feeling of this being like a prehistoric document of a time that no longer exists. Mm. Um, and... Some of it, you think, look at the joie de vivre of these people. But then you remember the other side of it is that. Is all that. Is and, all, and, all that. You yeah. know, it's, and it is, isn't it? It's all that. And like I say, you know, the very fact that we have to sit here and have a fucking conversation, which is like, well, you know, he was a wrong one. Um, he was probably uh, it, a wrong one. Tells you all you need to know, you know. And, and there isn't... There isn't one man in that program <laughs> who I wouldn't half expect to see a crime watch video fit of one day. Uh, yeah. the, the world population uh, in 1971 went up by 2.1 percent, which is the. And how much of that do you think was to do with? Well, um... exactly. It was the highest rise in the world population ever recorded. And I suspect ah. if Whitaker's world of music had been going for any amount of time, I think that it could have been entirely responsible. Well, are you saying that this is Roger himself doing it, or do oh, no, he just no. inspires? I, mean, I think Roger. He, Roger he is, inspires love making in others. I, 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 <laughs> when he whistles like that throughout a, a Scottish. Oh number, well, the whistling. I mean, oh, look, it's shit and it's hokey. <laughs> And it's weird. Stop whistling. But it's, no but one it's likes brilliant, whistling, isn't it? No, but it is brilliant, isn't it? I mean, I couldn't do that. Oh no, it's very. I mean, I can. Clearly, I can whistle. No, it, it's very. He's a very capable whistler, but you do have to ask whether or not that's a desirable thing. Yeah, but it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because um, you hear about somebody and you go, "All oh, right, uh, Roger Whitaker, what's his thing that he oh, whistles?" And you're like, "Oh, hey," because you think to yourself, "Well." How complicated and difficult can whistling possibly be? Because when do you ever hear 
anybody apart from Roger Whittaker whistle like that. And I'll tell you when, fucking never. It's, when. it's never. true. He's got so, it all sewn up. And then suddenly he gets going with it and it's like, oh, well, now I'm watching a master. Now I'm watching a virtuoso. My kids are, uh, the older one, Dylan, he's trying to learn to whistle at the moment and he gets quite frustrated at the fact that he can't. Mm. Uh, so I might sit him, well, as a I would sit him down in front of a Roger Whittaker no. um, yeah. uh, video. Just make sure he doesn't see any of the other stuff. Yeah, well, you never know when Rolf Harris might see him. <laughs> I think that that could be a running theme in, in these podcasts. Uh, you never know when Rolf Harris is going to turn up. Well, we shall see. We I, shall think, see. I think that that's probably, that's probably Whittaker's world of music. Uh, done and dusted. Every, In the bag. Every one of these podcasts, there will be in the blurb and so on. There'll be a, yeah. a YouTube link for yeah. you, for you no, to I go mean, and watch normally, these programs. Yeah, normally I would say you can go and watch these programs. But on this occasion, I'm saying go and watch it. Go and watch it now. You deserve to suffer the way I've suffered. <laughs> And, you know, and there's some songs you might you might enjoy some of the songs. <laughs> That's a hell of a strapline for a podcast, isn't it? You might enjoy some of the songs. <laughs> you, no, you 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 deserve to suffer the way I've suffered. They don't know the half of it. Yeah, well, no, they don't yet, do they? We'll be back tomorrow because we are idiots. We're yeah, we're we're gonna do one of these a day throughout the lockdown, be it. The, the four weeks that has been initially mooted or longer. And we, yeah, we... We've, I've actually selected with links 100 of these. Yeah. <laughs> we have a spreadsheet with uh, 200 rows on it. 138 of them or something are filled in. 100 of them by me. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I'll tell you what, it's a. It's a, it is a list and a half. I would love to share it with the world, but I, 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 I kind of don't think we can. There's only one way that we're going to share it with the world, and that is to slowly but surely work our way through it until our eyes bleed. Yep. But I mean, that is the intention. I mean, obviously, we're not necessarily prom- making any bold promises to carry on doing one a day after lockdown, but. For the foreseeable future, I do want I do want to get as many of these things. Yeah, we might have such a serious case of Stockholm syndrome by the second of December that we just got. Do you know what? I'm just going to carry on. I'm just we're just going to carry on doing it every day. Who cares about work? I'll do it at five o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah, I'll just do it all day long. Twenty four yeah. hour long stream on Twitch. Hours. God, <laughs> we'll we'll be bringing a new meaning to Twitch. Yep, disintegrating before your very ears. Now that's a strap line. <laughs> well, I'd love to say it's been enjoyable. Um, talking about it has been cathartic. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with part two in this series. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>